Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey. Uh, it is good to be with you as the ushers come forward to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. I just want to say thank you uh, for your generosity all through the year. And I just love uh, every time we get the opportunity to give because it's a reminder that it's not what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. And uh, our tithes and offerings are an opportunity to declare that. Um, ultimately, as we know, he has given us all that we need or could ever want or imagine. And it's our joy and privilege to give back to him who is worthy of our everything. Um, this morning, we are going to be looking at John. We're going to be returning to our John series, Reasons to Believe. And I, I just have loved pouring over this text in John 9 for the last few weeks. It is so, so rich. Uh, coming after Christmas, um, and you know, we've just celebrated Jesus, and guess what, folks? He still reigns. Like, Christmas is over, but Jesus still reigns. Jesus is the reason for the season at Christmas, of course, but Jesus is the reason for our every day. And, and so today, we're going to be looking at a passage in John 9. It is um, just one of my favorite passages. And uh, it's where Jesus heals a man born blind. It's a powerful text that's memorable. And if you don't know the Lord yet or not, uh, this, this passage, this text that we're going to look at is so Rich And there's so many things that we could talk about this morning uh, that we're not going to. Because I, I think that the thing that God has for us today, as we end 2019 and look to 2020, uh, just that, that God's word today, I think, is going to reveal that Jesus is the giver of true sight. Jesus is the giver of true sight. And so as you think about your year past and you look forward to what is coming, um, I think the passage today is aptly timed to give us true sight for the new year. Um, there's, this, there's this passage, um, that one of my favorite verses is, is 925, and, and we're going to look at that in just a second, but if you don't know the story, it's essentially that this man was born blind, and he had just um, been healed by Jesus, and he, his neighbors were confused about who he was. His parents uh, knew that he was their son, but didn't want to claim that what this, his, their son was saying had occurred. Um, and then he was inter interrogated by the Pharisees twice. And, and this is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, at least in my mind, and maybe you've likely heard this before. In, in, in John 9, 25, it says this, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It was just so simple. I don't know about all you people and all these things that you're talking about. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And in today's story, we're going to see a range of people. A range of people that all of us could relate to. Maybe there'll be just one. But for some of you, you'll relate to all of them. I know I did. There were parts of me that related to all the characters in this story. And we're going to read it in its fullness. 41 verses. It's quite long. 
but is rich and deep. But as we do that, I want to give you the main point so you don't get lost in all the details and the potential side things that you could explore that are good and worthy of your time. But the the main proposition for us today is this. Jesus, Jesus gives true sight. He is the light of the world. But like, I don't know if you got any gifts that you don't like this year. I didn't. I can say that honestly. My wife, home run, awesome. Uh, My brother-in-law, actually, he gave me a gift or claims he has, but it hasn't arrived yet. So we'll wait and see. So I, I defer judgment fully on my Christmas until I see what he gave me. But sometimes uh, we get gifts that we don't want, right? And that includes sometimes God's word. We should want to want God's word to be true, but sometimes we don't like what it says. And I think this is one of those passages. And I want us to be careful as we begin reading this story to not be quick to dismiss this as a gift you do not need. That this doesn't apply to you. You are a follower of Jesus and this doesn't apply to me. This is for those people who don't know him yet. This is a gift that we all need. And this is a gift that I hope you will receive. Okay, let's read it. John 9, 41 verses. Hang in there. It is an awesome story. And here's how it goes. Beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So he said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews, and and here I want to just note 
I want to stop and say the Jews here, it doesn't mean like all Jews. The, the word here, Jews, means like the religious leaders, the Jews. Did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. And again, the Jewish leaders. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in, may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. And those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. There's so much richness in the text, and I want to talk about a lot of things that we can't. My wife, one of my favorite things my wife has said to me, and I've learned over the years, is less is more. If you know me well, you know that I'm a volume shooter with my words, so I'm going to be very careful about what we spend a lot of time with. Um, and but I'll give you two teasers. If you want to get lost in this passage and just look at the richness, two things that I was fascinated with that we're not going to talk about a lot because it's not in my notes and we have limited time. And I just said I wasn't going to talk about them a lot. Okay. But one thing, this is a gift that you need, but I can't give you today. Look at the, the pool of Siloam. Go in your Bible, start reading the concordances or your study Bibles. The pool of Siloam. I was so fascinated by that and, and how it had been a water source 
for hundreds and hundreds of years and the kings that had done all this work to protect it and provide protection upon this water source in the case of invasion. And Jesus sends them there because he is our living water, right? So Jesus sends them there. He doesn't even need to go. And he sends them there and he's living water. And that was just so rich. And then now there's DNA testing, right? There's DNA testing and my, my grandmother, my 95-year-old grandma just took one of these tests because my parents had done it and now they're into the DNA tests and now they want my grandma who's 95, the poor thing. I had to, they gave me the job to have her spit uh, in this, this vial. That was a very intimate thing. And I told her like, we've come a long way from canning beans on, on your back porch, right? Now I'm like having you spit in this tube. And in the DNA, I would love to see the DNA results of Jesus' spit. That would be so cool. So I was thinking about that a while. There's so much. There's so much in this passage that we don't have time for, okay? But the one thing I do not want you to lose in the midst of all of the things that you could get lost in is that Jesus, Jesus is the giver of true sight. He is the light of the world. The vast majority of people in this room, as you think about this passage, the vast majority of people in this room can physically see. I know there's some people likely that cannot see. But the vast majority of people can see, um, yet how well can we see? Loneliness and isolation is one of the great public health challenges of our day. Doctors are saying that the equivalent of loneliness today is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes every day in terms of impact on our health. The, the pervasiveness of loneliness in our day and age is everywhere. I, I, I taught a course um, earlier this year in one of the training arenas about reviving evangelism. And in that, I did a survey and a third of the people who attended that class said they had zero or one non-Christian friends. Okay, now, you, now I got an oh wow from someone, um, but that's actually pretty normal in the American evangelical church. Okay, yet we are also the people who are saying, what is happening to our society? There's so few people who are following Jesus. So we're captivated and anxious about all these people in our world, in our culture that don't know Jesus, yet we don't know them. This is a story for us. And Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, he will give you true sight. Because it's not just the miracle was absolutely miraculous. Just think about a man born blind. There's, there's passages in the Old Testament where sight is restored, but there's no reference that I could find or, or read about in all, my, in all my preparation for this morning. I might be proven wrong by someone, but I didn't find anything, and I spent hours to say this thing. There wasn't any recorded documentation of anyone born blind who was now could see. That was miraculous, and Jesus did that. That is true and undeniable, according to this text. That is true. But to me, the miracle was also that this that Jesus gave this man sight to see things that people who could see before could not see. 
that Jesus was the one that they were yearning after and preparing for and prepping for and studying, whether they were neighbors, the parents, or the Pharisees. The Pharisees who spent their entire lives, their very existence was designed to teach the law and keep the law to help people understand and be looking for and making a way for the Messiah. And the Messiah is there. And they could physically see, but yet they could not see. Because friends, I don't want to get us lost the miraculous nature of healing this man born blind is, is amazing. But this miracle is also for us because we need to ask the Lord to give us true sight to see as he sees. And Jesus will do that. Jesus wants to give you good gifts of true sight. Because I have friends who are blind. I have this one friend who's blind, he's legally blind, and he can see in ways that I cannot see. Like we'll be in the room with someone, we're having breakfast one day with somebody, and, and this guy who is legally blind got a friend of mine who I could see in front of me to explain why he's anxious. I could see this guy, he didn't look anxious to me, but my friend knew that he was anxious about something and got him to share what was going on. He could sense that this man was anxious and he had a worry. Or I've seen him get people to tell unspoken dreams that they haven't told anybody. And he has this uncanny ability to make people see themselves the way Jesus sees them by just loving them so well and so richly. Even though this man can't physically see, he has an ability to make people know that they're seen and loved by God. It's absolutely remarkable. So Jesus gives true sight. The miracle of physical healing of this man's eyesight is noteworthy and is, is undeniably awesome. But also in this is the miracle that Jesus gives him true sight to see what other people who could see before still could not see. And Jesus can give us that true sight. So Jesus gives us true sight. But what is true sight? True sight is physical and spiritual sight from God that provides what we need to see, not what we want all the time. True sight is physical and spiritual sight from God that provides what we need to see. And as I was looking at this passage and thinking about it, and thinking about what is true sight, there were three traits that came to mind for me. Three traits, there's probably more, but three, sight, three traits in this passage that I think define true sight from Jesus. And it'll help us figure out, like, do we have true sight? And the first of the three is this. True sight provides clarity, not confusion. True sight provides clarity, not confusion. His neighbors are confused if this is the same man or a lookalike. This man they've seen for years, literally begging on their streets. They, they would know this man. Jerusalem wasn't that big. Okay, a lot of his neighbors would know this man. This man can suddenly see. Instead of celebrating that this miracle that so many of us say that if we could only see an encounter with God, we would believe and all our doubts would go away. Yet here was a man who could undeniably see. And the neighbors were confused by this. 
But not for this man. He didn't have confusion. He had clarity. In verse 9-9, we read one of the most frustrating and hilarious parts of the story. John 9-9, it says this. Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Just think about that. How preposterous that would be. Like, guys, you couldn't see. You, you could see. I can't see. Now I can see. I'm still the same guy. Like, you know what I look like better than I do. I'm the guy. He had clarity about what Jesus had done for him. I was blind, but now I see. He knows who he is and what has happened, no matter what others say. Jesus healed him. His neighbors saw him as a blind beggar, living a life of rejection. How would it be to be this man? You've been rejected as a beggar, on the street corners of your town. And now you can see, and you have this most amazing story, the first ever recorded in any, anything. And you're now being rejected by your neighbors. Yet he didn't waver. He was clear about who he was. He kept saying, I am the man. He wasn't confused. He was clear about what Jesus had done. And even in the midst of the confusion, he kept saying, I am the man. This man wasn't born blind out of punishment so that God could be glorified. He could see, and that was amazing. But though it provided clarity to him, it created confusion to others. But see, sometimes we, I note this, that it's true sight is what we need, not always what we want, because sometimes we want the confusion, right? We say we want what God wants, but do we really want what God wants? Is that really what God wants me to do? When Jesus says to go and seek out the oppressed, the rejected, the homeless, the poor, the refugee, the orphan, the widow. Is that really what we want? Do we want what God wants? Is that, is that, is that apply to me? How can we be sure? The gift of this is that this man was blind, right folks? And now he sees. It's pretty clear, undeniable. Yet people, we, our people, still find ways to reject the truth and the clarity of God's word. But this man gives us a great example to be clear. In the midst of confusion, true sight is clarity. In the midst of confusion. One of our values here is to be rather than appear to be. We have five values, core values here at the church. One of them, one of them is to be rather than appear to be. 
what's your story about what Jesus has done for you? Like what's your, what's, when, when somebody asks you, why do you believe in Jesus? Or tell me what Jesus means to you. What story are you ready to clearly say about what Jesus has done for you? What's your before and after? I was this way and now I'm this way. Whether you have this amazing, miraculous experience, I would love to hear it, right? Of conversion experience in your adulthood or wherever. Or you've known Jesus for as long as you remember. Jesus, if you have true sight, Jesus has made an impact on your life and you have a before and an after. Because sanctification will continue all the way. Um, I'll tell you one of mine. I have a lot of them, but less is more, right? Uh, it's true. Uh, one of mine is, uh, for a number of years, I struggled mightily, mightily, with not believing that I belong in the room. Feeling inadequate, feeling like I had very few gifts that were worthy of people's attention or time. Yet over time, I was reading my Bible and Jesus kept seeing me, kept showing me how he sees me and the truth of Scripture. And the truth that all the opportunities that God opened in my life and in, in doors and in high school and in college and in grad school and in life to be a leader, it didn't matter what other people thought of me. Jesus belongs in every room and I had been sent as his ambassador to declare his glory. So no matter whether people loved me or hated me, I could stand on the truth that Jesus had sent me with his authority. And that helped me see and begin to realize that Jesus sees me as I should see myself, as a treasured creation of the king. I had a before of feeling inadequate to now going on behalf of the king of kings who has no equal. Jesus continues to do a mighty work in me in lots of ways. But our story at a time where our world is confused about what is true and what is worthy of our affection, our time, our worship, are we clearly sharing the before and after of what Jesus has done for us? What is your clear story about what Jesus has done for you? You should know it. Sit with it. Jesus has a clear testimony for his glory that he wants you to declare to the world in his time of confusion, may we speak with clarity. May your 2020 be one of a clear proclamation of what Jesus has done for you. May we be a church that is being rather than appear to being, right? My dad used to say, it's an old saying, if you find the perfect church, don't join, you'll ruin it. We are a church made up of sinners. Sinners who have been served by a mighty God. We are a church of people who can come as they are to worship the God who is and always will be the giver of true sight. So number one, Jesus provides clarity not confusion. I pray that your new year is full of clarity, not confusion. But it's easy to be clear 
when we hang out with people who see like us, right? When we huddle, when we huddle and, and just gather together and pretend that everything's okay and we show up on Sunday mornings, good, great, good, how are you doing? Great, great, awesome. Everything's great, 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 great. But are we consistent in the face of adversity? So the second thing that clarity, true sight provides after clarity, clarity one time is okay, right? When you're taking your eye test, right? And, you, and they tell you, read the bottom line and you take a quick confident stab at the last line you can see and you're right. And they say, okay, how about this one? And you're like, oh, I don't really know anymore, right? Um, some of you are lucky not lucky enough to not have glasses. You don't know the embarrassment it is to not be able to read the top line. Um, sometimes we're right occasionally, but can we be consistent in being able to read and see what we need to see? So the second one is consistency. Consistency, not unjustifiably conceding in the face of challenge. Consistency. True sight is about consistency not unjustifiably conceding in the face of challenge. Let's look at uh, John 9, verse 20 through 23. His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he has been born blind. But now, uh, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Remember the religious leaders. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. His parents lacked conviction. Though they could see that their son, who had been born blind, and they'd likely been taken care of for, for many years, they knew that this is their son. And you could, in a way, understand why they would say, well, I mean, He's our son, and we can see that he sees, but how he came to see, we don't know. Like, you can understand that, right? Because they didn't want to lie, because we don't know if they were there or not when this occurred. Um, but John writes that his parents said these things because they feared the religious leaders. They were afraid of being put out. So these followers of their faith and belonged to a local synagogue were not fervent in the face of adversity. Their son, who they had been likely protecting and defending his entire life, when he was in the public square and among their neighbors and before the religious leaders and under persecution, they were like, ask him. Here was a man who was begging for his life's survival. And now he can see. In the midst of that dependence on others for his daily life, he's healed. And now this amazing proclamation of what now he can now see, and everyone can see that he can see. And he's clear that he is the man. The thing that strikes me about this story is this man is consistent in his stories. He tells the same story uh, to the neighbors. He tells the same story to the Pharisees the first time and then the second time 
The same story. To the point he gets a little snarky. He's getting confident, right? He's like, look, I don't know what to do with you guys. Like, you're giving me a hard time, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. I don't know how many times I can tell this story. If I were him, I would want to tell that story over and over and over again because that's pretty cool. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I keep telling the same story and you guys aren't buying it. I was blind, but now I see. If he had compromised that consistency and critiqued Jesus or told a different story, his testimony would have fallen flat. Yet Jesus, yet Jesus in his sovereignty gave him a gift of physical sight that was undeniable by him or by others. He could not waver. He could not explain it a different way. What God had done for him was so miraculous that it was undeniable. Here was a guy who could not see and now could see. He couldn't explain that and that was the only story he could tell. The sin and what God has done for you, friends, is a gift for you. The story is about Jesus, not you. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about our before Jesus because it is a story that amplifies the glory of God. It's a gift that you had a before Jesus. We shouldn't hide from it because so many people in this world do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is a gift, a good gift that God has given you. Why it took some of you so long to come to know Jesus, you, some of you feel bad about that. That's a story. I meet people all the time, and probably some of you do, that think it's too late for them to meet Jesus. I'm too old. I've sinned too much. No matter whether your story is a long story without God or a short one, it's a gift from God. Be consistent in proclaiming what God has done for you. I remember um, in high school, I started a fellowship of Christian athletes huddle. I grew up in the suburbs of Boston, public schools, and I, and I started a fellowship of Christian athletes huddle with my buddy, Mike McGarry. And uh, we started this huddle, and, uh, which is essentially like a Bible study for athletes, and then ended up being for everyone in our school because there weren't many Christians in our school. Uh, we had a CU at the poll day, and I was the only one who showed up uh, the first year. Uh, because it was serious. Um, it was, it was a, people, the student government advisor at the school uh, regularly ridiculed me. I remember uh, one time in class, she said, why are you still a virgin? And she went at me over and over again because she's like, oh, you're a follower of Jesus. You're always talking about Jesus. Like, you know, you started this Bible study. Like, tell us why you're a virgin. Like, she just went at me all the time in class. And, and she was complaining regularly. She filed a, a, a paperwork saying that we were violating. One time we were a minute after the bell and we shouldn't be able to have our Bible study in our class and in the school. And she was giving the principal a hard time about why is Ryan allowed to do this? And, and I remember one time the principal just pulled me up out of lunch one day and, you know, we'd gotten pretty friendly over the years. And and he said to me, he's like, Ryan, is this really the hill you want to die on? This teacher's giving me a hard time. And I was like, if I don't die on this hill, what hill would I die on? Right? Like, like what is all this for? 
And he's like, really? Like, you're getting, I mean, Ryan, like, you're getting ridiculed by your classmates, your teachers? Like, he, he loved me. He's genuinely trying to look after my best interests. And I am so thankful for his wisdom and his counsel over the years. But in that moment, he was wrong. And 20 years later, just last summer, I got to go to my high school reunion. 20 years later, and there were people, you know, of course, they're the intoxicated people who were drinking 12 hours before the thing started. And it wasn't that late that it started, right? But, but some of the people were coming up to me and they were saying, can I talk to you? My marriage is falling apart. You know, I say in Facebook, like the same stuff you talked about in high school, you're still talking about. We're like, my, my kids, we're starting to have kids and we're having problems and we don't really know how we're going to raise them. Could you, could, you, could you talk to me about that? Or, you know, like I was, I was assaulted as a kid and I've, I've not been able to let go of that. Could, could you talk to me about that? Or this one woman grabbed me as I was leaving. I was saying goodnight and I had to fly back and, and uh, she's like, could I talk to you one more thing? And she shared something that she'd been going through for a long time. 20 years, all those people said, like, you were still talking about the same Jesus 20 years later. Must be true. Consistency pays dividends. But that's not always true in my life. I remember uh, in grad school, my last for two years, I got to go to grad school, and in two years of grad school, I'd been praying for opportunities to share my faith in, in in a school, and it was you know, known as being hostile to the Lord. And for two years in particular, I'd prayed for this one woman, one of my classmates. I didn't know her well, never got to know her well, but I've been moved to pray for her. And my very last class, my very last day, after two years of grad school, I was in a negotiations class and we're having this intense debate, ethical debate. And it was, it seemed to be me against everyone else talking. I knew a couple of Christian buddies that were not talking. I was pretty annoyed, but uh, but after two years of fighting with these people, I had gotten to share my testimony six different times in class and they all knew I was a Christian like, and they were gunning for me. And it was my last day, my last class, and I just wanted to be liked. And so at the end of the debate, I said, you've convinced me, I agree. And I traded two years of faithfulness for two minutes of what I thought was gonna be sweet relief. But this, this woman that I've been praying for, for for a number of years was in that class and she walked up to me and she said, after class, this is my last semester, last class, my classes are done except for finals. She walked over and she said, Ryan, I gotta be honest, I'm kinda of disappointed that you agreed because that seems to be inconsistent with what you've been saying for two years. And essentially she said, I was beginning to believe that your God was worthy of my trust. And I'm disappointed that it's not true. Our consistency matters. May your 2020 be one of consistency. Consistency about what Jesus has done for you. The last trait of true sight is this. True sight is compassion to guide people to see as Jesus sees. Compassion, not chastisement. See, the, the, um, the religious leaders had rejected him, uh, rejected the blind man, and they were increasingly rejecting Jesus, right? 
But Jesus was clear and consistent, and he was one of compassion. Verse 1 says that he saw him. This is not a man who was looking to be healed. Jesus saw him and went to him and had compassion. Well, what's notable about that is in chapter 8, right at the end, Jesus was about to be stoned because they didn't like what he was doing. And he eluded them miraculously. And after eluding him, he went and saw a man on the Sabbath and healed him. He was clear about who he was. He was consistent in who he was. And he had compassion. He had eyes to see people who were rejected by the world and saw them. No prompting from anyone else. Saw them and had compassion on them. Where well, here was a man who the people should have been going nuts in celebration. Look at what this man has done. God has done. Jesus has done. But instead, they're trying to contort and confuse and trying to figure out any way to reject the truth of what they have just experienced. This man who was born blind, but now can see. And in verse, nine, in verse 35, Jesus um, heard that, that he had been, this blind man had been tossed out of his local synagogue for this consistent story. And Jesus found him. This man didn't say, like, I gotta go find this guy. I gotta go, like, I gotta go find him and tell him, this guy will, Jesus will help me. No, Jesus found him. He had just been rejected. He was rejected as a blind man and now rejected as a man who could see. And Jesus found him. May we have eyes of compassion. Verses 35 through 38 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He, the man born blind, answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and he, he, it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Compassion, not chastisement. I'm not saying that God never chastises or criticizes or critiques, but I am saying, I am saying that we often naturally see out of people who reject the world, we reject them. We're afraid of them. We don't want them to taint our lives. We don't want to be influenced by them. But our Lord says something else. He goes toward them with compassion. What Jesus has done for you, friends, what Jesus has done for you, your before and after, is a clear, provides a clear proclamation of God. Work for you. And if we're consistent in that, and we have compassionate hearts to go and tell about what Jesus has done for us, Jesus is the one that our world is looking for. And they have not found yet. Our eyes should be ones of compassion, to see and pursue the people who don't know him yet. Because I violated, blatantly violated, less is more, at several times in this message. We do not have time to do all that I want to do, but let me give you a few implications of why this matters, and I'll hit them quick. You can stay for round two, and I'll try to do a better job. But the thing, why true sight matters is this. One, this is for you. It matters because it's for all of us. This is for you. 
whether you're the blind man before, right? You don't know yet, you don't yet know Jesus. And you're walking through life, whether you can physically see or not, you are discontent with your state in life. Jesus is coming for you. He is at work around you. Whether you can see or not, Jesus is pursuing you. He is the one that you've been looking for. Come. Today is your day. It is undeniable that this man was born blind and now he can see. It is undeniable that my life and, and all the lives in here who follow Jesus had a before and an after. You do not need to be perfect. None of us are perfect. We are sinners in the hands of a gracious God. Whether you're the blind man after who can now see and wondering why others cannot and you're getting frustrated. Why can you all not see how awesome Jesus is? Be clear, consistent, and compassionate. They just don't see him yet. It is not for you to determine when people enter into the kingdom of God forever. It, it, it is your responsibility to give a clear, consistent, and compassionate proclamation of what Jesus has done for you. Whether you're the parents, maybe you can relate to the parents. They can see that something has happened and they know that Jesus, they know that their, man, their son can see. Maybe you believe but not so much that you're willing to lose friendships or acceptance in the public square. You may be afraid to claim the truth for fear of rejection or embarrassment by your friends, your coworkers. Let me tell you folks. <laughs> this, the parents said, ask him, he's of age. Today, ask Jesus to help you know clearly who you are in him. Once you know what it feels like to sit with Jesus, looking at us with a great love and affection, the King of Kings who made you, what the world feels about God matters less. Jesus has done work in you. Or maybe you're the Pharisees. They thought they could see. I think a lot of us, sometimes mostly me, I feel like I related to the Pharisees. They thought they could see, but they could not. Maybe you're going through life anxious about the world falling around you, living a life of growing bitterness toward others who don't know yet know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. You believe you can see, but you're fretting to the degree that your heart is being hardened to the very reason we are here on this earth to worship God forever. Today could be your day. Today, ask God to open your eyes fully to live with clarity, not confusion, consistency, not unjustifiable concession, and perhaps most of all for you, compassion, not chastisement. And we should move, the second thing is we should move with urgency to use the true sight that Jesus gives us. Verse 9, 4 says, we meaning himself and the disciples, now including us, we must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. Night is coming. We must work with the time that Jesus gives us. And that is today. We don't have time to waver about what Jesus has done. Declare it clearly, consistently, and with compassion. 
today. And the last thing that I wanted to say is he, that we must give our lives for God's glory, whether accepted or rejected. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Friends, the chief end of our lives, the very reason why we've been placed here is to worship God forever. May all who see us see him in 2020. Amen. Let's stand. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity we have to sing to you now. Our God who is worthy of our everything, the giver of true sight. May this coming year be marked with clarity about who you are and what you've done for us. May it be marked with consistency, even in the face of challenge. And may our eyes be eyes that see with compassion, not chastisement. That the world might see and know that you are our God and you are worthy of our everything. You, you are the one that we've been seeking. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.